Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 299. Wow. I guess the next one after this, we have, should have a party. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> Joining us today in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters, Jessica Ray and Alex Kellum, and we're going to get right into it. We've got three vehicles we're going to talk about. We've got a lightning round, even have a viewer question, uh, and we'll see if we have a, a rant or rave before we wrap things up. We're going to start with one of the most highly anticipated vehicles of the year, and it's not an EV, folks. It's the 2023. It's about as far from an EV yeah, as you can get. Yeah. The 2023 Ford F-150 Raptor R. Alex, take it away. Gladly, yes. The Raptor R, which is the comeback of the V8 in the Raptor. Ta-da. And for, yeah, for, I'm sure most people are aware, but for those that, aren't uh the raptor the f-150 raptor i should specify has been powered by a twin turbocharged v6 for Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit now which is uh you know fun fine we drove one i drove one a lot like last year or something like that great truck but this is the v8 not just any v8 purist wanted a v8 yes um and also they've got competition with a v8 Yes, absolutely. And as far as V8s go, I think they picked, uh, I think, maybe the best one in their arsenal. It is the 5.2 liter supercharged, essentially taken right out of the Shelby GT500, which uh, I really like. Yeah. And, and it's quite it, aptly named. Yeah. The, it's the, the Predator. 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 <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Take so. that Ram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 700 horsepower, 640 pound feet of torque. My dad has a saying where whenever he would see Shelby's, he'd go, you don't buy that because you need it. You buy it because you want it. And this Raptor R is exactly that. Mm-hmm. You get it because you want it. And of course, you do get other things. I mean, it's an off-road beast, a Baja beast, if you will. So 37-inch off-road tires, that kind of stuff, beadlock-capable wheels. Um the big thing that you're paying for is the V8, which I might as well say now, price-wise, it is it is a thirty thousand uh, dollar upgrade yeah. on top of the Raptor. The Raptor is already about eighty grand, so we're looking at about one hundred and ten. It's, it's a six-digit truck, dollars. but it's not the first. So right, yeah. right, exactly. I mean, it's there are people it, riding around with um, you know. A lot of HDF uh, uh, F series that are mm-hmm. well over a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yes. I mean, it's it it's similar to the F one fifty Lightning in mm. the opposite way, right? It's yeah. like you're paying for it to have this ability for a premium. I think it's a premium on top of a premium, especially because with the Raptor R V eight is just yeah. it's a supercharged one yeah. at that. Don't you think though we ought to debunk this idea though that this is a truck only for people? I mean this is also a bit of a poser in the fact that <laughs> It is a very nice truck to drive oh, on the yeah. street. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was shocked just even compared to the regular Raptor, how civilized mm-hmm. this vehicle was. It is. It is very civilized, though you can pop the uh, exhaust into right. Baja mode if you want <laughs> and be very barbaric, if you will. But that's hey, that's the best way. As long to have as there's it. no uh, no- nose yeah. noise ordinance in that right. area. I mean, I think they at this point when you when you build a vehicle like this with an engine that's so powerful um, and and loud, they recognize that these pe- people want 
or people are mostly going to drive this on the street because it's who, a luxury yes. buyer that yes. buys yes. this. Yes. Right. And, and that to was, wheel something that's a hundred thousand right. dollars, you might put it on some dirt well, at a concert, so, maybe. <laughs> right. Well, so and that's the thing is like I hear it all the time, especially you know we see it with Jeeps and with yeah. now Broncos and stuff yeah. where people are like, why would you why would you buy that and never take it off road? But the fact of the matter is, people buy these things and they put them on the pavement. They they drive them. Mm-hmm. Most of what you drive is going to be paved roads. At the end of the day, like, I don't, I don't care how people spend their money. If you buy the Raptor R and you, t- it's a, it's a pavement princess. Good for you. I think, <laughs> I think you should take it off road. Like, if if you buy a GT, find out what it know, can do. Yeah, if you buy a GT Mustang, I get it. You daily drive it. I daily drive one. Whatever. You buy a GT 500. I'm not going to tell you you have to take it to the drag strip, but that car beckons for it. It mm-hmm. wants that, and it's mm-hmm. it's actually it's an apt comparison to the Raptor R, especially because the same engine, the right. 5.2. If you buy the Raptor, you should take it off road. But if you don't, I get it. You buy the Raptor R, same deal. But you really should. You really you yeah. what you really should do is find an off road school, mm, show up yeah. with it, let them show you what it is capable yeah. of. Yes. Even if you never do it again. Yeah, you yeah. will come away feeling like a million bucks. The fact oh yeah, that you spent a hundred thousand. That thirty thousand dollar extra, you won't even think about it. Yeah. Your grin yeah. will be too big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very very impressive vehicle. I also think and, it's very impressive to see Ford, and you brought it up, uh, Jessica. You know, they're one end of the F series lineup. They're still they're doing the Lightning full EV, and the other yeah. end they're doing probably the best performance truck that's ever rolled out of a factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and. Uh, I guess the only other thing uh, I try and find like little weird things to talk about with it. Uh, so the MPG, believe it or not, is not that great, but that's okay. <laughs> Crazy. It's, it's 10, 10 city, 15 highway, 12 combined. Oof. And uh, your engine, uh, so you will be spending a little bit on gas, but honestly, if you have the money for this, you probably won't care. You know what? You'll also be spending a lot of money on oil, 11.5 quarts of 5W50. Oof. Would you put that on your list as one of the future collectibles? Uh, ooh, pro- uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think the the R in particular, yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, I mean. Yeah, the Raptor yeah. R with, I, I with this engine, first year, future collectibles. To me, I think anything that's a supercharged V8 at anything this moment. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say anything with the V8 because there's Toyotas that are still rocking some like really old V8s mm-hmm. that are just that are going to last forever and are going to be great, but they're mm-hmm. not especially powerful. But something like this that's getting 700 horsepower, and um, it's a, a a unique vehicle. Yeah. They're, oh, they're yeah. probably they aren't going to build too many. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, I where think, I was going. I think a supercharged V8. There's an old saying that you know that when you look at the rarity, you look at for a collectible, you you look beyond the obvious it's got to be rare that's almost mm-hmm. a given and it's got to sell well there's a lot of rare cars that didn't sell well and they <laughs> haven't become really particularly mm-hmm. strong collectibles but i think this one the raptor r will be well it's like the the escalade v i mean absolutely you know yeah. here's cadillac going all electric and what are they doing is their swan song yeah i'm here for it yeah me too it's probably what this raptor r is well too. i, mean, I, I, I didn't want to bring it up but, <laughs> yeah. so you, you never know you never know i'm sure there are smart people inside Ford looking at uh, what what ifs, you know, mm-hmm. three and four and five years from now. Mm-hmm. Speaking of what ifs, uh, we've been waiting for uh, Mazda to, to get serious about a larger SUV for quite some time, and they have done that with the CX-90. Jessica, what is it? How does it compare to the rest of their lineup and anything unique about it? Yeah, I mean, so this is going to be a replacement for the CX-9. 
which doesn't exactly surprising because it's old. it's old and we've also been trying to figure out all right what's what's Mazda's plan what are they doing you know where do they see themselves in 10 years because they clearly still want to build cars and people like their cars they like the way they drive um and so yeah and they've been a real laggard when it comes to uh, electrification yes yeah. absolutely and i think this is kind of um showing us a bit the steps in the direction that they're going to be taking. So the CX-90 is um, a three-row SUV. Like I said, it's going to replace the CX-9. Um, and it comes with two powertrains, two interesting powertrains, one of them being 3.3-liter I6 turbo. That's uh, a mild hybrid. Mm -hmm. And then they will also be introducing a plug-in hybrid version of the CX-90. But the I6 is pretty interesting itself. Did you say it was an I6? Yes, it's yes, yes, I mean, yes. inline six. Fact, yeah, absolutely. We, we are seeing this resurgence of yes. inline six-cylinder engines. But go ahead. I mean, I, and I think it's great because, you know, so often we see vehicles of this size uh, rocking just a turbo four. Correct. Um, and I think that worries a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Just uh, I understand why manufacturers do it, but right. you know, like these are heavy vehicles, and and oftentimes they're hauling people and things, especially as they get up in size to mm -hmm. three rows. Um, so I think it's really fantastic that we're seeing um, a, a new gas engine. I believe this had yep. been in in Europe. Um, if I'm not mistaken. And for those of you that really don't understand the difference between a V6 and an I6, normally an I6 is uh, historically produces more torque given the, uh, so pulling power uh, versus a V6 in the same displacement size. And traditionally for almost 100 years, they've been used in trucks. Yes. And, and using them actually in cars has pretty much disappeared and now it's starting to come back. Yeah, I yeah. mean... Uh, as we know, Stellantis yeah. is, has been building their own and um, ICs. GM's getting ready to do one, too. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 right now it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an excellent step um, for Mazda because it shows that they are serious in, like, staying around and building good cars. I mean, that... Um, you know, that i6 is going to get 340 horsepower, and, and still that plug-in hybrid, it will have a 17.8 kilowatt hour battery, which is a pretty significant size for a battery. Mm -hmm. Now, if, you know, there aren't a ton of three-row plug-in hybrids on the market as we speak, but to give you an idea of what everybody else is working with, um, a Lincoln Aviator that has a 13.3 kilowatt hour battery, um, a Grand Cherokee that has 17.3, the Outlander has a 20 kilowatt hour battery. And so um, depending on how they engineer this, because we don't have numbers yet, you're looking at hopefully close to about 30 miles of range. At least. Um, and that's that's will answer one of the biggest complaints about most people have about plug-in hybrids. Yeah. And I believe it's standard all-wheel drive. Correct? And that seems yeah. to fit with the, the I6 notion mm -hmm. uh, much better because you do have quite a bit of torque and also the placement of the engine under the hood. So Yeah. Um, and then just some other like little things, the interior – um, really kind of like takes a step up. I mean, mm -hmm. they're kind of towing the line between um, luxury. Um, it To me, it looked very upscale. Um, they're using Napa leather. They're using woods. They're using other fabrics and stuff. Um, so it looked very clean and upscale on the inside. And the pricing starts pretty, I think, 
good at a $41,000. Well, they can't mm-hmm. be. Well, with standard all-wheel drive, standard that all-wheel makes drive. sense. Yeah. And also a fairly upscale interior. And there's so much competition that they're yes. going up against bigger brands. They don't. They can't go too far afield. I mean, especially yeah. with folks like... Um, Hyundai and Kia still offering relatively bargains uh, in that class. And I think what Mazda's always done very well is offer a really solid product Mm -hmm. for maybe it's not the cheapest on the market, but it's close. You know, their price point has always been very good and they want to stick that way. Although I will say, if you want to load this thing up, you're looking at over Mm -hmm. $60,000, which which is kind of crazy to me that I just said that it starts around (laughs) 40. And we're looking at there's a there's a $20,000 difference between these these powertrains and trim levels. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, with the PHEV, they're basically banking on the fact that people will pay a premium for it. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I think it's a great product from Mazda. I know we're looking forward to driving it for the first time mm-hmm. and kind of seeing, yeah, where where they are aiming for the future. We've got one more, uh, and it also is a, a three-row SUV, uh, the Honda Pilot Trail Sport. We're going to hold that for a little bit later in the show be, and uh, after we tackle our lightning round. And, <laughs> um our lightning round is very interesting. This is one where we give everybody a chance to really weigh in on some trending automotive topic. And this is a topic that has bothered me for a long time, that finally we might be seeing some resolution. The um, Biden administration recently announced that the new standards that they want to uh, evoke for EVs and EV ownership includes making sure that EV chargers are working you know, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, up to 40 percent of the people are reporting on polls that they try to use public chargers that aren't working, that they have consistent plug types. We have a big disconnect in this country, especially between Tesla and everybody else, and that power levels are consistent. Uh, the charges are easy to find, have a single method of payment and are combat compatible with uh, future capabilities, some already here in the case, again, like Tesla, plug and charge. What do you think about the federal government weighing in with standards like this that basically they have not had before? Uh, Do you think it's a good thing, bad thing? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think at its foundation, if you're going to start putting rules and and regulations in place saying we need X amount of electric vehicles or plug-ins or et cetera on the road and stuff, you you also need to support them. And I mean, I don't know, it feels very cut and dry that if if EVs are going to be more prolific, if you're going to see more and more of them on the road, which that's where we're trending, you have to be able to support them. You have to be able to provide chargers and not just chargers, but chargers that work, that people can actually use and pay for and Etc. Increasingly, we hear that you know that the biggest stumbling block for adoption by the average consumer is where to charge it and efficiently. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that if you asked any any traditional OEM what the most valuable part of Tesla is, they would tell you it's their supercharger network, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which everybody uh, made fun of. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just that the chargers are plentiful because there are are numbers of them in 
in major metropolitan right. areas, but also in the, the surrounding spots. areas. Yes, yeah. in in places that make sense, but also their reliability. Yeah. However, they've built these superchargers is apparently the way to do it, um, because so many times people are having issues with Electrify America, EVGo, ChargePoint, all of these other. Um, I don't know if you want to call them startups, but companies that have kind of come into this industry. Um, and it just has not worked. And, you know, just like anything, you know, this it's it's in its infancy. But having standards from the federal government for something like this hopefully will be able to aim everything in a way where we, it, we can focus more on reliability um, and on uh, plug types, making sure that like every every aspect of charging is just as easy as you go to going to a gas station and filling up. That's your the tank. whole point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's the goal. That's the end goal. And, the, for and, sure. and you were pointing out off uh, before we started, you know, the Europeans have all, are way ahead of us on this. They basically have mandated a single style plug for a long time. Yeah, um, you know, which in, I think should have happened here five years ago right like in europe you know anybody can go to a tesla supercharger and and charge their vehicle now part of this um this these new standards is the fact that tesla now does have to open up a portion of their superchargers to the public and so actually as we speak there are superchargers that um you can go to that support the c CS, C, CCS, CSS? Don't ask me. One of them. Sorry, I can't get my acronym it, it, correct. The, it's one the of those. The nomenclature for plugs is, <laughs> is stupefying. Um, but in California and in New York, there are some superchargers that now support it, which I think is is a very good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's for a long time we've we've seen Tesla owners being able to use other, you know, non-Tesla chargers with an adapter. Yes. But you couldn't do the reverse. Correct. If you had a non-Tesla, you couldn't use their superchargers. You could use their uh, level two chargers, what they call their uh, not vacation chargers, but the one destination chargers, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. hotels and restaurants. Mm -hmm. So I think this, and this will. I don't remember the statistics, but it will almost double the the availability of chargers overnight to the average EV owner once uh, all of Tesla opens up. That's so crazy to me yeah. because, I mean, granted, Tesla has had a head start on all of this, and, and they were brilliant to start their own supercharger mm -hmm. network and to keep it supported and keep it growing over the past decade or so. Um, but, yeah, that's that's an incredible statistic. It is. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm almost amazed, though, that we still have companies like Rivian and I think even Volvo keep talking about doing their own chargers. It's like, why do you want to spend the money to start from scratch, figure out a way to buy in some of these existing companies, and let's just get on with it? Basically. Yeah, to me, to me, it makes sense that, autumn, um, that the automakers would support these large, like you know. Like Ford and yeah. GM and yes. Volkswagen have done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense for them to put all their eggs in that basket. <laughs> we have a viewer tweet from Paul. Let's uh, take a look at that. When do you think supply will be in sync with demand? We're talking about mm. overall vehicle sales. I recently passed a Toyota dealership that used to have hundreds of cars in the lot, and now they're empty. Uh, let me just preface this, Paul, with saying that at the beginning of the pandemic, when there was a chip shortage and everything else developing, Toyota actually had a huge stockpile yeah, of they did. parts. And they actually supplied more vehicles 
faster than anybody else was able to. And now on the back end, they're the ones that have been running dry. Mm. Because if you look at Hyundai dealerships, uh, Ford dealerships, General Motors, Jeep, they've got quite a few cars. Now, Mm -hmm. the statistics I've seen is we're still well short of the 300 plus thousand new vehicles sitting on lots that we had before the pandemic. But we're a long way from the 50,000 at the height Mm. of the pandemic, somewhere in between there, probably around 200,000. So it is coming back. How long is it going to take? My guess is at least another year. I mean, I feel like... And actually, the manufacturers don't want it to go back to that volume. No, I mean, I, I feel like when we first started talking about this um during the worst of the times in 2020 we thought that 2023 that'll be the year oh yeah Yeah, and now here we are in 2023 and and 2024 will be the year i have a car on order that i don't know that i'll even get this year yeah you know so um toyota and and like you said specifically to toyota toyotas are are really really hard to get right now i think probably more so than most vehicles um and and it's the reason that tesla i think it's the model three now outsells the toyota camry in california i believe it yeah well some of their so the some of toyota's older production lines are doing better than Mm. their newer ones because like you said they did have a stockpile of um parts and um, like I, I look like for example, the Tacoma was pretty easy to, to get right. for, and I think it's pretty, you can still get a Tacoma, but that's because the vehicle itself is like eight years old. So no, and even that one was, is a regeneration of the one before it. So. Right. Yeah. And so like, for example, when they, uh, redo their forerunner, um, I think that's going to be like one of the hardest vehicles in America to get so. when they redo it. But yeah, I don't know. If- yeah. I mean, I, I kind of just resonate with all of that. I would say I also have to wonder to an extent, I mean, have dealerships and have manufacturers looked at everything that's going on. And now, you know, we see all these pushes, or at least every now and then I see headlines like, you know, they want to go with more like direct ordering and online ordering and stuff. How much of that's going to play the, into it? The too? manufacturers want to do that, but the dealers uh, don't. Okay, because that's the right. Dealer, yes. Yes. The dealer right, wants right. you on, be a, when you're on the lot, they want to be able yeah, to put you in the you vehicle. To, yep. Already on TV, we're seeing ads back for lower interest rates, mm-hmm. $4,000 yep. off a truck, blah, blah, yep. blah. Yep, yep. The time the dealers want the good old days, the manufacturers yeah. want to say, because the manufacturers, if folks don't realize this, they actually pay the dealer to have a vehicle sitting on their lot. And uh, the dealers like that money, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the manufacturers would love to not have to play what they call uh, floor planning. Uh, right. well, I mean, dealerships are making more money than ever. ever they were making right. more money than they were yes. when they had an entire lot full yes. of cars. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And that's, that's insane. And, of course, the manufacturer isn't making any more money because they're still selling their yeah. cars for this percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Their overhead is huge. Yeah, all I know is I went to my local Ford dealership recently, as I as one does, and they had, believe it or not, like seven or eight Broncos just sitting there. Yeah. And I'm like, nature is healing. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, a little bit. I just got off of, <laughs> uh, came back from the port of Baltimore, which is a huge import mm-hmm. port for uh, automobiles. The lots are full. Mm-hmm. A lot of vehicles sitting there waiting to go to the dealers. Okay, we've got one more vehicle, as I said, that we wanted to talk about before we wrap up this podcast, number 299, the 2023 Honda Pilot Trail Sport. Alex, take the lead on this one. I certainly shall. So 
the new Honda Pilot, uh, first and foremost, is being touted as the largest and most powerful yet. Um, there <laughs> is a little bit of an asterisk next to that because it's not really a huge bump in horsepower it's or five. power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's also not a huge bump in size. I think uh, approximating about three inches or so, two to three inches. Mm. Um, still, they technically did not lie. And that's okay because right. uh, I'll just start it off by saying I like the new Pilot. And the trail sport in particular, I, I can dig it. So the new pilot um, has kind of like a more rugged and like chiseled aesthetic. And, and I think that the trail sport kind of lends itself well to that. Mm -hmm. It's powered by a 3.5 liter V6. Um, again, more powerful than before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the trail sport does have all wheel drive, of course, as you would figure something with the trail sport. And I actually had a chance to kind of test that doing a little bit of off-roading. Um, it does about what you would expect. It's like a weekend warrior kind of thing, yeah. right? Like it's not, uh, it's not raptor r levels of uh of off-roading prowess right. but it's certainly um i think know, it has a, a a new um all-wheel drive system yes yeah so if you get it you get the latest iteration of and this is terrible but i forget what honda calls their all-wheel drive but it's, I, it starts it's with like an i active or no 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 that's a mazda ivtm or something IV like that <laughs> i don't don't look they at have me. an all-wheel drive IV system. Yeah, all -wheel it, drive is, it has been the intelligent it it's good for. and when you get well and then when you get the trail sport you're also going to get off-road tuned suspension like steel skid plates yes. stuff like that and you get a trail watch system or it's a camera system that goes in through the center display, the infotainment. Um, I got to be honest, uh, the kind of like when I was doing the first drive on this, there was like somewhat of a divide, I think, amongst mm -hmm. the staff. I, I, and not that anyone like ha absolutely hated its guts or something or, mm -hmm. or anything like that. But it was more like a some people got it and some people didn't. Right. Uh, and that's like, I don't know how else to put it. And I'm not trying to like, obviously attack anyone's competence or anything. <laughs> but my point is, is like, like I look at it and I'm like, I, okay, I understand what it's about. Like, I understand what they're selling this for. Real time, all wheel drive with intelligence. Real there we go. There we go. Yeah. It's real. I mean, I, I think with, um, with the pilot, I think it's just, um, you know, Honda Honda plays it safe. I mean, yes. yeah. that, that's their design. That's always been their design. And 100%. I think that when we see other vehicles in that class, right, like things that Kia's doing and Hyundai's doing mm -hmm. and and um, and Mazda's doing, um, you know, sometimes the pilot feels safe. And that's not a bad thing. It's not. Yeah. It's not a bad thing at all. It's humble. It's modest. It's not trying to wow you with technological mm -hmm. spectacle. It's just, here's what it's about. Here's what it can do. The trail sport can do a little bit extra. Um, I do have to note, though, that I think last time I was on, talked about the Grand Highlander, and I said it has 13 large cup holders. Pilot's got 14. <laughs> well. So, they're, you know, and they're large. Ooh. They are self-described as large cup holders. So, you know what? There's some competition. It's Contender for our uh, awards next year. I, I, you know what? If we can make that an award, I'd be, uh, Here, I, I will be the sole judge. Here's the acronym you are looking for. IVTM4. IVTM. IVTM. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. No. Um, no, I think real time all wheel drive. I think they prefer. That's the old name. I, I, I like yeah. that. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about the interior, how it is very familiar. Yeah, um, because if you've been in a pilot before, you've kind of been in this one, but that's not a bad thing. Um, again, well, we've seen They've, the the knobs and stuff are in the CRV. Yeah, they're in the yeah. They're in every new Honda. Yeah, this is not a huge the, departure. And the screen okay. is still relatively small. Yes, right. It's not in your face. So right. it, it it's but Honda is always basically a step behind. 
the competition in those aspects. But again, it, it doesn't seem it, to matter it, to their owners. Plays it safe. And I have to give them credit with the cargo volume because, again, playing into the whole, like, this is the largest one. It's, um, let me double check. Yep. 114 cubic feet Which behind the first big. row. Yeah. And, that uh, is very big. Behind the third row, it's 22.5. And, I mean, I, I kind of played around with it a bit during my first drive. I, like, got in the third row and everything, kind of just messed about. And, but it was fine. But see, you that's know, where they've all, Honda has always excelled in interior packaging versus exterior size. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising to me. And it's a very traditional shaped vehicle. Yeah. It's, it's no not, swoopy roof line just yeah. for the sake of styling. <laughs> yeah. It's not, nothing about it is flashy or like over the top. Yeah. But I think Jessica described it the best. It's safe. You know? And it's, it's got a, humble. it's got a great it's, power train. I mean, people yeah. just want a, want a Honda. They want a car yeah. that'll get from A to B that's reliable. And the cool, I will say one of the cooler features on it is the fact that it has this optional removable second row uh, middle seat. Oh, That you can yeah. take it out and, and that store is, it. That is a Honda thing they've had for a very long yeah. time. And actually, I will tell you that when we got one in here at work, it didn't have that. And it Jessica, didn't. I was Jessica so was very upset about it. I was so, I wanted it to is show one, you all. It's one of the coolest features of the vehicle. Yeah, especially, yeah. you know, people want captain's chairs, right. but then they're like, oh. I don't have captain's chairs, then right. I don't have a bench. Right. And then this eight-seater is not an eight-seater. Right. It's a seven-seater. So, yeah. yeah. Very good lineup of vehicles. Thank you, one and all. Before we wrap up, any rants or raves this time? It's only three. Uh, do you have any? I have about, a rave. We're, we're I go, about, go ahead. I have a rave. She has and it's, a rave. And it's related a to a, a, a previous rant that I had. Oh. If, well, well you, you, weren't on the, that, you weren't on that one. No, not no, not exactly. I still, it was my headlights right. one, and I was in. Um, oh, I remember. That. Now I, 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 you know, I drive an older car, so I to turn my headlights on. I turn. You, you have to actually turn, have, have to, to turn yeah, it on, and then it and it yells at me when I turn the car off, right. and I haven't turned off my lights. Now I don't really fiddle with the lights all that much when I'm in some of our test cars, but I did recently because I was in the Outlander plug-in hybrid. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, it was like 4.30, it was kind of getting dark, and I saw that neither my daytime running lights, or, or maybe the daytimes were on, but my headlights were definitely not on. So I said, so I just hit the button that turned on the headlights. And then I forgot about it. Hmm. And then I drove the car for four days, because I had it for a long weekend, and I realized that, oh, it just, when I turn off the car, it just turns off the headlights. But then when I turn on the car, it just automatically keeps the headlights on. Like, it just saves it it doesn't right. like revert to auto right and i thought that's the solution <laughs> to Just me turn do, off do you realize how, you probably don't realize how long that's been coming there were decades when and i i apologize to whoever had it one of the major manufacturers had a feature that basically would turn off your headlights if you let them on after like five minutes mm -hmm. to keep from draining the battery. Mm -hmm. And other manufacturers did not. And this was before auto headlights. Sure. So you had all these vehicles with rundown batteries mm -hmm. because people had forgotten to turn off the headlights, We've except this it. one manufacturer. And I actually forgotten. I think it was GM that had that feature and Ford didn't and Chrysler didn't. Now... I think it's universal, and yeah. it's such a common sense thing, right? Sure. You know that, and maybe that is the answer. Just have a system. Make sure every vehicle has got 
the automatic power down feature after a certain amount of time, and that way and you I don't say, worry about and it. And I say, you know, and that solves the problem of the Colorado, keep... and because I'm getting all kind of feedback oh, about with the, the Colorado, Colorado yeah. not having a physical yes. uh, light switch now. Hmm. Yes, so that I actually that we're kind of previewing yeah. that for eventually when we have one in to test, yeah. um, we'll definitely let you know what we think. The Colorado, it's on the screen. Yeah, you have to no go switch. into the menu. Yeah. Uh, there is no switch for it. So uh, I got, yes. I've gotten several emails about it already yes. from. Friends. Just just go up the pop-up headlights again. I don't know what the deal is. You know? That could be One next. more thing to break on a pop-up pop no, headlight. No, they're cool enough. <laughs> okay, digital producer Jessica Ray, thank you very much. Writer Alex Kellum, thank you very much. I want to also thank our audio engineer, Austin Harris, for making us sound so good today. Our podcast producer, also Jessica Ray, and our podcast creator, the great and one and only Bob Mixter. Thanks to all of you for listening to our podcast. And if you're wondering what time MotorWeek can be seen on your local public television station, go to our website, motorweek.org, click on the tab about the show, then station listings, and enter your zip code for the days and times and stations in your area, or hop over to our cable partner, MavTV.com, for their schedule. You can also stream MotorWeek episodes for free on your mobile device or streaming box by downloading the PBS app available at your device's app store or streaming channel library. Take a breath, John. <laughs> All of the individual road test and feature segments are also available at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash MotorWeek. Folks, if you've got a screen, you can watch MotorWeek. Or if you've got any kind of stereo in your car, you can listen to our MotorWeek podcast. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for being a part of MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.